Welcome to The Last Supper, a weekly podcast featuring emergent and established artists, gallerists, curators and collectors in Asia. Hello, I'm your podcast host Oscar Van Huys. In this episode, I met the co-founder of 8K Walls. I have known Jason Dembski for over a decade. However, it's the very first time we sat down and talked about what drove him to host street art festivals, the state of graffiti in Hong Kong, and the challenges he faces working for local landowners. The reason for this podcast is to raise the awareness of art in Asia. If you wish to learn more about art in Asia, I highly recommend you to join one of the many in-person or virtual art classes, lectures, workshops, gallery visits, and art city trips that are hosted and organized by Christie's Education in Hong Kong. To claim your 15% discount, follow the details in this podcast description. Hello Jason, thanks for coming over to my makeshift studio and how are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's begin with telling me who Jason is. <laughs> hmm. uh, I am one of the directors of HK Walls, a street art and mural festival and art organization in Hong Kong. We have known each other for many, 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 many years and we have met very often. So you must be almost like a double Hong Kong permanent resident by now. But what brought you to Hong Kong in the first place? I should be, <laughs> but no, I'm not. I've been here since 2009, but there were a few years in the middle where I was on a tourist visa. I am now a dependent of my wife, but should be able to get PR probably this year, I think. That's really exciting, Jason. Similar to you, I had a few breaks in my stay in Hong Kong. So it took, I think, it took me about 20 years to get my Hong Kong ID or permanent residency in Hong Kong. But I think also because I was too lazy to apply and do all the paperwork and documentation. But that's a story for another episode. Now, let's talk about HK Walls because that's the reason why I invited you today. What can you say about the period before HK Walls and how this idea grew or emerged over the years? Um, yeah, I actually, uh, I studied architecture in the US, in Ohio and Michigan. And depends on how far back you want me to go, but <laughs> I studied abroad from Michigan during grad school in Beijing for a few months, one summer, and uh, came to Hong Kong next and then traveled through Southeast Asia for a month or two, eventually finding my way back to Beijing. But after that trip, I kind of told myself, you know, when I graduate 2009, I'm going to go to Asia and find work. That also just happened to be right after the crash. And so there was absolutely no work for me in the US, which is was in architecture. And luckily it happened that two of my professors in Michigan were ju had just relocated their office from the US to Hong Kong. So yeah, it was just, it was just like a great coincidence or series of events that I really wanted to move to, to Beijing, but then it was just so easy to come and work for them. And there was basically no interview. They were just like, yeah, how soon can you be here? And so about three weeks after school ended, I came to Hong Kong. And that was also the very first time living and working in Hong Kong because you said you studied in Beijing. When I moved here, it was my second time, but I'd only been here just after being in Beijing in the summer of 2008. I was in Hong Kong for five days, basically. So I didn't really know much outside of like Causeway Bay and Central. And I think we went to the Buddha or something. And like, <laughs> I didn't really, didn't really know much about Hong Kong. And I couldn't even, I think it took me 
it took me like six months to figure out where the original hotel was that I stayed in when I came back. I had no idea. So yeah, it was, it was basically like starting from scratch, but yeah, so I, I came from an architecture for an architecture position and I worked for that office for about three and a half years and kind of got bored, not really bored, but I kind of was at the top of the ladder at that office. Uh, it was a very small boutique design office and, uh, just felt like it was time to move on. And it was how I'd, I'd come very interested in, in the Hong Kong graffiti and street art scene kind of throughout those first three years I was here. And yeah, when I left, I started teaching architecture and doing some freelance projects. So that was about, it was like the middle of 2013. And then about the same time, some other art projects were coming along. People were becoming interested in having graffiti artists like do things at their events and all these other things. And just from me kind of being like a fanboy and like kind of going around and finding the street art and graffiti in Hong Kong and taking photos of it and meeting artists at exhibitions and things and just really getting to know the, a little bit of the scene and what was going on. We kind of started hosting events and kind of like very small things. I guess what, yeah, I guess what happened was I started to get to know a lot of the artists, both international and local that were here just through kind of following them around, going to the exhibitions. And we hosted a party on my rooftop at one point where we used to, basically we had this rooftop in Shangwan, which we, we didn't know any people when we first came to Hong Kong. So me and my flatmate, we used to just open up the rooftop to basically anyone who wanted to use it. We'd have these like parties and gatherings, all, all kinds of weird things would happen up there. But it was a good way for us to meet people. We'd, we'd show films and project onto the building next door. Other people would use it for like raw vegan dinner parties. But it was really just a way to socialize and not go out and spend a bunch of money at the bars and meet new people. But one of these events was we basically had a barbecue, invited a bunch of artists over that we knew and that we met that I'd met over the, the, the couple of years and then asked them to like everyone paint one letter of a word. And we had this kind of like mashup of different styles, painting the name of what we called our roof at the time, which was Blue Roof. Was it at the same time when we met when I hosted the Drink and Doodle gatherings here in Hong Kong? Was that how we met? Because that has been more than a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely came to at least one of the Drink and Doodles, if not multiple. Yeah, and I, I, we definitely met, yeah, for sure. So that was right about also the same time that I started dating my now wife, Maria. And she got this opportunity with the previous her previous employer, YAF, the Youth Arts Foundation, to basically curate a bunch of local street artists for this big exhibition they were doing with Swire. And she knew that I was kind of interested in the scene, but she didn't know a lot about it herself. And so I kind of helped curate from behind the scenes, I guess, helped her select the artists. And the Hong Kong-based artists became part of this larger exhibition that had artists coming over from overseas. Those were curated by a different gallery, but all kind of became this larger project. And then from that, People, it was, it was actually one of like the, the coolest parties. The exhibition, it was called Work in Progress. And this was like, yeah, middle of 2013 or so. Basically, Swire gave up an entire floor of this warehouse that they were going to tear down to this exhibition. And the opening party, there must have been thousands of people there. There was like all kinds of huge art installations. It was really, it was really amazing. And of course, we got to invite a bunch of people. We must, I think we probably invited like 500 people ourselves. And so that kind of gave... Marie and I, a little bit of a name of kind of who to go to for graffiti artists or street artists, or because we they kind of 
we had the connections. That's the way people saw it. So from that, people started asking us like, oh, I have this DJ night. I'm having this, I have this club night, you know, and got these cool DJs, but I want to have someone paint live. Can you help me out? And so those kinds of things would happen and we'd send them an artist. We'd, you know, help them out a little bit. And, but what we kind of started to notice was like, they didn't really care too much about the art. It was just like, you know, some checking a box of like, people think it's cool, so we better have it. But they didn't care about the art. They didn't care about the artist. It was just like something off in the corner to like put on the flyer to say it's happening. So that wasn't super cool. And I think it was like one day I was kind of complaining about kind of how the, that kind of that fact to our third partner. So, so in, in HK Walls, it's just myself, Maria, and our third partner, Stan. And so I was complaining to Stan about this situation of people not really respecting the art, not really caring about the result or the artist, and that it was just like a box to check and a thing, a thing to have to make your party cool. And we're having beer discussing this, and he was just like, well, why don't we just make our own event? Like, why, why are you doing things for other people? Let's just do something cool. That's kind of where the idea for HK Walls came. And so we just said, okay, let's see if we can have our own little festival. Let's make it about the artists and the artwork. Let's put it in the public realm rather than in a gallery or a closed space. And I think it was like, it might've been like two months, two months to our Basel at that time. And we were just like, let's see if we can do it during our Basel because that's when all the art stuff happens. And there wasn't anything really focused on street art or graffiti during that time, like during our Basel or Art Central or whatever it was called back then. So we were like, yeah, there's gotta be some synergy. That's gotta be the right time to do it. It just made sense. And we just, just put it together on a pretty much a shoestring the first year. So that was 2014. That's an amazing story and journey of how HK Wall started, Jason. Was this around 2012? Because I remembered when I arrived in 1997, the sight of a mural was really, really rare. At the time, any wall painting was considered an act of vandalism in Hong Kong. So there were, of course, some local street artists, and you did see some tags, but your events and activities have really put street art in the spotlight in Hong Kong. To my knowledge, I don't think there was a coordinated effort to promote street art in Hong Kong. Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe at the at the festival level, at the at the mural uh, kind of legal and really organized level, probably not. I mean, there was a bit, but it was here, it was much more sparse and here and there. But there uh, was definitely a bit of a scene uh, in the, the illegal scene was pretty decent when I moved here. I mean, you had, you had people like Start From Zero doing their paste-ups, which now has kind of evolved into the, the woodworking and the furniture. But um, they were really active in the streets right before I moved to here. Graphic Airlines, and then a handful of graffiti writers that were active then are still active now. And kind of what, what happened before I came was a little bit foggy to me, but I think there have been people doing, like painting graffiti, uh, at least illegally, since the 90s, but just not not on the level that you that you would know from uh, comparing like to New York or Paris or London or, but yeah, I think the the mural the mural scene and the more sanctioned permission stuff definitely was starting to pick up, but not super active in like 2010s ish. And then I think yeah, we 
I think probably kind of blew it up a little bit with the first with the first festival because it did it did seem to catch people off guard when we when we kind of announced it and yeah so it, it got a lot of excitement and a lot of attention the first the first year for sure I think you're way too humble, Jason, but I agree that you didn't invent street art in Hong Kong. However, I believe you, Maria, and your team at HK Walls have been really instrumental to the increased popularity of this art form. It's undeniable HK Walls have played a key role in the opening up of street art, and especially taking it from desolated places that you mentioned to the city center of Hong Kong. Whereas shop owners and property owners used to be really against it, the tide seems to slowly be turning. How do you persuade those property owners? Yeah, that's that's tricky. But <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll come back to that because what I was thinking when you said that was the first part was that the visibility of it anyway, and and our influence on that. I think that was the the second the kind of the other other underlying reason that we wanted to start the the festival was that something I noticed as, and like this, the, the, the kind of fanboy journey of going and photographing the graffiti in the street art. And like, is that a lot of the, the graffiti writers are, you know, they, they were active in the streets, but it's mostly just tagging quick stuff like bombing. But then when they wanted to spend time on something larger, more detailed, more precise, like really good graffiti pieces, you didn't see them in the city. You had to go out to like Yun Long and these concrete rivers or like ATV building in Saikong basically just like abandoned spots or spots outside the public eye where the artist could, it wasn't legal, but they can spend a lot more time painting. And so that was another kind of underlying reason of like starting the festival was like, all these artists are painting these crazy things, but no one sees it. There were even like these international artists that come through for gallery shows and they want to paint the street or spend time doing something bigger, but they didn't have any way to get that permission. So they would also go to these abandoned buildings you find like these pieces from international artists painting these abandoned buildings. It's kind of weird. So like that was, that was another thing. I was like, okay, well let's give these artists opportunities in the city where everyone gets to see it. If you get a wall or someone is donating one that can be used, how does that work here in Hong Kong? How do you scout for walls and how do you approach landowners or property owners? What can you tell me about your approach to this? Uh, we go to whoever we can find. <laughs> if it's, it's generally the it's generally the landlord or the tenant. The smaller like ground floor shops will approach the tenants first. Whoever, what if it's a ca- if it's a cafe or a restaurant or whoever we can find on the street, I mean, we can just walk in and talk to somebody and that they're interested in it and they have some sort of permission in their lease to to modify the exterior. Then then that's enough for us. But sometimes yeah, we'll go we'll go and find the, the landlords as well or property management company. Basically, yeah, we just dig around till we find someone who, who can give us the permission. When you look back at the evolution of street art here in Hong Kong, have you observed any specific developments and styles emerging? Hmm. I don't know. I, I Yeah, it's hard to be specific about Hong Kong, but or like a style or anything. Or But I would say more recently you're seeing in the graffiti more actual Chinese characters kind of translated into graffiti for like tags and, and, and bombing. But then I think, I think when it comes to like the murals, you see a lot of, like I think, I think illustration and kind of, yeah, illustration is quite big in Hong Kong. Um, so you see a lot of illustrators kind of making that move from just illustration and more small scale drawing and on paper or in, in digitally to actually wanting to paint murals. Yeah, I think you see, you, you see more and more of that. 
What I find really encouraging about street art is that, and this is purely my viewpoint, is that it appears to be a great springboard and gateway for exploring other domains in the arts because of the accessibility and that it has this kind of direct connection with the general audience or public in the streets. What's fascinating is that about a decade ago, people appear to be really against it. And now that attitude has shifted, why do you think this is? Yeah, I mean, I think partially an education process. Like I think when we first started the, when we did the first festival, we didn't have any real examples to show people aside from photographs that the artists had done either in the abandoned buildings or overseas or they didn't, there wasn't a lot of examples on the street that we could show them. And so there was a little bit, a little bit more confusion and a little bit less awareness of what we were talking about when we would approach people. But I think with that lack of awareness that also was just, it made it some, in some ways easier because it was either like my, yeah, my walls, that, that wall is really dirty and you're going to paint it for free. Yeah, sure. Go for it. But now I think now that there's been like, people are more aware of what, of what murals and street art is and what they, what it could be. Like everyone's seen some example that they like or don't like more or less. And so now everyone has an opinion. And so when you ask them, you know, can we paint your wall? We donate it to us for this festival. It's like, well, what's it going to look like? Can I pick the artist? Can you paint my dog? Can I be a unicorn? And it's just like, no. <laughs> yeah. So it, now there's a lot more. We want to make sure everyone's happy with the results, but, and while maintaining like creative freedom for the artists, but there's still like a lot more back and forth than there used to be. It used to be just like a straight yes or no, pretty easy. Walk in, walk out exchange phone numbers. Okay, we'll be back to paying this day. Now it's a lot more back and forth and a lot more kind of negotiating. Oh, there is more back and forth now than before. Uh, yeah, I think so. And that is because people now have seen examples of how the mural can potentially change the environment and are now more educated. Yeah, I, th I think more because more people, uh, they have an opinion about what they like and don't. And so now they want to have a say or a con contribute to what artists might be selected what that, what art direction that might be, because more people have an, an opinion of what is good street art or bad street art. That's a really intriguing development and something I wouldn't have expected. How do you work with this new expectation from people? And what do you do if they have the opinion that the mural is completely crap? <laughs> I don't know if we've had any of those situations, but I would say in the lead up to the painting, there's a lot more of like, we'll, we'll basically show the, the wall owners, like three artists we think are suitable for that location for one reason or another. It might be the size, might be their, any, any number of things, the context, how long it takes the artist to paint or any number of things. And then they'll basically kind of tell us which ones they prefer or don't or, and we kind of, we, we even used to not even provide sketches or anything. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we try to kind of overcome that hurdle in advance, kind of tell them if you like their past work, you can kind of generally see the direction and the trajectory that the future work is going to be in just based on the style. Maybe the content even has some regularity. And so we would just kind of say, do you like this artist enough? Let them paint. And then we would move forward from there. I think only maybe once an artist painted like a pair of lungs and they kind of were exploding and it was about like, it was very emotional, but just like the, the imagery of like little lungs was a little too graphic. And so he had to come back and paint over it like the next day. 
yeah, there are times where like the, the wall donor is very specific about what they want. Like literally, can you paint my two dogs and, or can you paint a monkey or blah, blah, blah. We basically just have to say like, probably not. You could pay an artist to do that, but you know, this is about giving the artist the creative freedom. You're getting the artwork for free. We'll come back to you if we find someone who's really into painting your dogs, but I think it's pretty unlikely. <laughs> I can imagine property owners having all kinds of wonderful requests for murals. Now, I'd like to address the transition of street art going from the city street into blue chip galleries. What is your opinion on this? I don't know. I'm totally for it. I mean, I think artists need to eat, you know, and they need to, like, I mean, you could even look at street art in some way as, like, especially in the illegal version, like the most risky and yeah, the most risk taking version of self promotion almost, you know, the murals are for the community as well. And like it is, it's, it's contributing to the fabric of the city, but you can't sell those. And I mean, you can to a degree, but I think it's just another form of getting into the galleries. It's just another form or outlet for the artists to, to express themselves and to hopefully make some money off of it. Who are those, or do you know of Hong Kong street artists who have made this transition? I mean, there's there's a few, like Kath Love. She used to write Rosa too back in the day, but now she's going by Kath Love, and so she's doing gallery shows. Zim really comes from the graffiti side, still active, but also doing gallery shows. He, he had a show with another artist last year, I think, at Lucy Chang in in uh, Wong Kong. and I think and there used to be more galleries even previously, kind of focused on that even like they were really quite focused on the street artists and the graffiti writers most of them have kind of shut down over the last few years but yeah i think there, there are examples and even more on the kind of like the, the street art side there's an artist called go hung he does like these street sculptures out of kind of upcycled recycled materials which always have kind of like a a social a social commentary to them i think he's actually been fairly successful the last couple of years. He's been shown with a few different galleries. So yeah, there's there's quite a number of cases. I don't think there's there's no one that's like made it to like the the top tier of galleries yet or like but I think it's it's not uncommon. Before we continue, I have a small favor to ask. This podcast The Last Supper is offered to you at zero cost. And if you wish to support this podcast, Please give it a like, a star rating, leave a comment and make sure you share this podcast with your friends and anyone you think will benefit from listening to this podcast about art in Asia. Many thanks and let's continue. So far we have focused on the street art scene in Hong Kong, but have you collaborated with other cities as well? Yeah, we try to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like even for the festival, like we bring in artists from all over the world. But yeah, when we have opportunities, we do we do try to collaborate outside of Hong Kong. Yeah, we we did we did an exhibition in during the pandemic called Disconnect with Shoney Projects, which is a not quite a gallery but art consultancy of sorts that are into kind of rethinking what the gallery could be and finding new formats for artists. Yeah, we worked with them on a project, and they're kind of based between Hong Kong and London. And we did a project with them that took over like a six thousand six thousand square foot Victorian townhome in London with a bunch of artists. That was super exciting. And actually it's like what got us through the pandemic is <laughs> like that kept us really active and we're working with really cool artists. Yeah, we, we would love to do more of those projects. Can you describe to me what this Disconnect Festival in London looks like? So it was this, it must be a townhome from like the 1800s, Victorian townhome. 
and we invited six artists from all over Europe, a few from the UK, and then the rest were from uh, Portugal, Spain, and other places, and actually two from Iran that are based in New York. But these artists all have kind of roots in street art or graffiti in some way, who have all kind of bridged the gap and are doing both work in the gallery and the street still kind of, and we invited them and basically gave them each a room of the house. And, and they basically created these, these kind of immersive installations in these rooms. People could, could actually visit during the pandemic. I think it was a group of like four at the time. But uh, you could basically just kind of walk through different rooms of the house. And each room was almost like floor to ceiling. The artworks would wrap and some were kind of anamorphic. And you could see them from one perspective. And it almost looked like the walls and the, the, the geometry of the room disappeared. Others were... Yeah, they're all very different, but it was really about an experience and, 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 and giving these artists the opportunity to take over, take over this house and really create something, something really unique. But in, in addition to like the, the installation, there was also kind of canvases kind of built in and pieces, pieces that could be sold as well. If you go on our website, you can actually walk through like a, a virtual digital recreation. Like we had that, we had the whole exhibition scanned because it was COVID and people outside of London weren't able to visit. Like we didn't even leave Hong Kong to visit it. We basically project managed it all remotely and never saw it in person. But you can see it. You can see it online digitally and walk through the walk through the whole exhibition and find these little sculptures hidden in the gardens. And yeah, it was super cool. And we were able to kind of dismantle sections of that and then ship it to Hong Kong later in 2020 and reassemble parts of it and reconfigure the exhibition for like a Hong Kong Tong Lao in Causeway Bay. And then we, we added another four Hong Kong artists to that show, kind of recreated the same scenario, but in a very kind of a different environment. And yeah, it was quite cool. You work with a team of international artists. What can you say about the portfolio of artists that you work with? I would say it, it changes on, on what the project is. So like the festival that we do every year, that's anywhere from 20 to 35 artists, I would say. Um, the exhibitions tend to be smaller. Yeah, Disconnect was six, that became 10. And we're working on one that's coming up that's probably going to be around eight to 10 artists probably in the next exhibition. But then the festival in the streets probably going to be 20 to 35. We're still kind of adding adding and, and inviting and figuring that out at the moment. When you host and organize those really large street art events, what do you need most? More walls for sure, yeah. And, and money, yeah. We could always have more sponsorship. Now, imagine I am a street artist and like to be part of the activities you host. What do you look for in my portfolio? Yeah, so for the like for the festival this year, we had an open call, open globally. We had more than 600 applicants. Yeah, was, we were pretty impressed, actually. And I guess what we look at first is kind of the originality of the artwork, the quality. Those are probably the two big things. And then, yeah, just start shortlisting artists. And for the festival, it's a, it's quite a long process. We're still kind of going through it, <laughs> and with the focus on the international artists first, because we got to get their visas and other things sorted out. But yeah, it's quite long. But we do we keep everything on file, and then the next time something comes up, we have like these huge digital folders of like all the artists we've ever been in touch with from Germany or France or Hong Kong, and we kind of go back through and have a look and a think and just see who who might be suitable because like every year especially for the the things that are public facing the festival we're painting walls outside we don't always get to include 
the people we want. There, there's always some people that are a little too edgy or a little too dark that just the Hong Kong public space isn't quite ready for, and we just can't find them a space to paint. So there's always like people like that that are kind of on the back burner, just like waiting for the opportunity. Yeah, it's it's really just like an ongoing, always thinking about artists and who might be the best best suited. And yeah, you mentioned two requirements: originality and quality. Let's continue to discuss this a bit further. What to you is originality and quality? That, that's a hard question. Yeah, originality can be it, it can be the subject matter, it can be the the style, it can be the use of color or any any number of things that where they theorize their work. The quality, I think, it comes down to just how they're then expressing those ideas and things through whatever medium it is, a spray paint or acrylic and brush or doesn't necessarily mean it's like nice and tidy, but you know how those two things complement each other of like uh, using the tools and and expressing the ideas or the, their style or somehow they come together and it's yeah it's a very uh, subjective thing and so like we'll even debate within ourselves between between me and the other partners or even the interns get involved sometimes and it's like you know we're we're like discussing uh, our own points why why we like certain things or don't or yeah. So far, we have mostly focused on murals and works on city street walls. When you talk about street art, how broad or narrow is this domain for you? For example, do you include performance art as well? We haven't had a lot of performance street art, I don't think. But yeah, we're totally open to that for sure. I mean, if you want to kind of categorize it more specifically by different terms, like graffiti is very, very letter-based. Some people will say it's only, graffiti, true graffiti is only illegal, but... I would maybe loosen that up a little bit and just say that it's it's kind of what you would imagine, like but the, the the art form that came out of New York and Philadelphia in the 80s, late 70s and uh, early 80s. And it's really like embellished letters and stylizing letters and writing generally the artist's name or the graffiti writer's name. Street art is, for me is a looser term and some people argue different things, but I would say street art is basically like any art form in the street. You know, generally it's, it's some sort of painted or pasted or some form of visual art mostly. But then there is, like you said, performance art that I would also qualify as street art. And then murals are kind of like the more, the the larger, almost always with permission, more elaborate and detailed artworks, yeah. The way I understand it is that you apply a very broad brush to the term of street art, including performance artists and musicians. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, our focus has largely been about the painting in the past, but um, we're totally into the sculptures and and performance, and because that that brings that adds another dimension to what we are and what people think of as street art. We're totally open to that, and for sure, I think it's also interesting when those things kind of collide sometimes, and there can be like collaborations between whatever the, 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 the musician or the, the performance artist wants to perform and how they're inspired maybe by the painter. And yeah, that could be quite cool. If you don't mind, I just want to go back to what you said, that there are particular pieces of murals that Hong Kong wasn't ready for yet. What are those themes that are celebrated overseas, whereas in Hong Kong it could be a delicate subject? Like in, let's say in Mexico, <clears throat> there's a huge culture of celebrating death. Hong Kong, death is 
I would say the opposite of that. It's like people don't celebrate it. They don't want to, they don't want to see it, but like you go to Mexico and, and maybe other South American countries and artists are using skulls and bones and symbology of death in their artwork all the time. And it's, it's really celebrated. It's quite colorful sometimes, but in Hong Kong, I think it might be a little too, uh, people are very superstitious and using those kinds of things in artwork is less acceptable, I think. There was a case, it wasn't, it wasn't part of HK Walls, and I think it even happened maybe around the beginning of HK Walls, or even a year, a couple of years before we started. There was a big mural painted, and the, the artists painted like a, a woman's face with long flowing hair that went all the way down the side of this building, but her face was a bit pale. And someone in like an adjacent building who had what was probably some mental problems called the police and said that the woman wouldn't stop looking at him. It was too ghostly and that he was going to jump off the building if they didn't remove it. And so, yeah, they had to remove it. So like there's there are these cultural things that like that, you know, you have to be sensitive of. What I find really compelling about what you just said is that death is celebrated very differently around the world. Hong Kong doesn't really celebrate it like in South America that you just mentioned, but all the paper gifts that are burned are very colorful here, whereas in Europe it is a very somber and grim occasion. It's not even just like the, the death thing necessarily that plays into it for sure, but even just like darker images, more moody, more emotional um, imagery that may not be so uplifting or positive also is much harder to, to find placement for in, in, in the public space where you can, you might see it much more frequently in like Europe or somewhere or even in the US where people are really expressing not so positive emotions through their art but in putting it in public space more times than I can count where people have said things to us like, we just want happy colors. And so it falls outside that realm. It gets the, the less happy the colors are, which I, whatever that means. So like the less bright colors are, I guess, the more difficult it is sometimes. I notice the stark difference between cultures as well. Of course, it's really dangerous to generalize and to put one country against another country or one continent against another one. But from my experience in Europe, the preference appears to be mostly pensive and solemn, whereas in Hong Kong, there is a strong preference to more joyful and happy art. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, you, you see a lot of the, the kind of more cartoony, cutesy art it does quite well in Hong Kong, actually, um, which would be probably less successful in Europe, but also probably very well in Japan. Um, so, yeah, there's... Let's talk about the dimensions of the murals because they are not small works of a few yards or meters. They can be entire walls of high-rise buildings here in Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, when when possible. <laughs> those are those are the harder um, the harder ones to get permission for. But uh, yeah, whenever whenever possible, we try to, and if as long as we have the funding, we'll try to go as big as we can. We did a few in Shantri Po back in 2016 that were that were quite big, like seven seven floors or so. Yeah, and a couple, uh, 2017, there was one in, in Yamate that was about nine floors. Yeah, painting from cranes and scaffolding and all kinds of different things. So 
Now, let's also discuss how you work. Do you work with annual themes for this year? No, we don't we don't tend to theme. We basically find that the more the more creative freedom you provide the artist, the less you kind of bother them about content or anything, the better it turns out because they're really doing what they're passionate about. And when you start to lay on the restrictions or push them in one direction or the other, that's not what they want to do, the work really suffers. So yeah, we don't theme it. We just try to get the, the artists who we think are going to produce the most interesting and yeah, the best work. What else do you have in the pipeline for this year? Well, the rest of the year, um, most consistently, and lately we've been running the youth mentorship program. So that's basically inviting, <clears throat> inviting young uh, Hong Kong-based artists to uh, work with a much more experienced uh, muralist in Hong Kong. On the, in a in a kind of mentor mentee situation, they meet once a week for about six six to eight weeks, um, and they discuss their their careers, their goals, their styles, the the artwork, the motivations, and more technical things like how to improve. A lot of them have never painted a mural before, or a very small one, if that. They're basically learning how to take their ideas on from like a small sketch and scale them up to a mural, and how to paint it on the street or. Yeah, all kinds of different things that basically that contribute to, to the resulting mural. And then at the end of the program, each one's about eight, eight to ten weeks. At the end of that program, the last two to three weeks is them painting the, a mural somewhere. What happens then after the mural is completed? Does the owner keep it? We did the first one as part of the festival in 2021 in Saikong. And so, yes, those are, those are on physical buildings. For the last two rounds, we've actually been hosting at the wheel, the Hong Kong Observation Wheel in Central. Those are more fabricated panels that are hung on the fence outside facing the piers. Those run for anywhere from six months or to a year before we replace them with the next round of, of the mentorship program. Beyond the collaborations in Hong Kong, are you planning to expand HK walls to other cities as well and start, for example, in JP walls or KR walls? I think we would if there was an interest locally, like if someone came to us with that idea and someone who had a foothold in the community where they wanted it to happen, sure, we would. I don't know if we'd brand it in such the same way. We would probably want to make it, we would, we would basically want to help facilitate them to do what we've done and be a part of it and create something new that's more specific for whatever that city so that they can take ownership of it and we act more as consultants, I would say, rather than just go to you know Tokyo and say hey we're going to do a festival here like that that would be a bit weird and probably wouldn't work out so well so this is something you would consider and are you in talks with overseas groups to explore this we've had a lot of discussions with other other festivals and other organizations around the world we you know when we're traveling we always visit whoever we go and see people like that and people doing similar things or cool things that we respect over in Actually, just this last May, we were invited to basically take an exhibition that we did here in 2021 to the Brisbane Street Art Festival. So we'd like we'd love to do more of that. That was a case where we we hosted in, in 2021. We hosted an exhibition called Tools of the Trade, which was all about the tools of graffiti and street art. Anything from like a homemade marker, like the writers used to use in the 70s and 80s to videos of drones painting and augmented reality and other more technology-based things. So it was a really, really wide spectrum. And I guess the, the success of that show allowed us then to be basically invited to ship the whole thing to Brisbane and show it as part of their festival as well. And 
the the kind of cool thing about that is that like it allows the exhibition to grow a bit and kind of absorb the local Australian graffiti and street art scene into the show. And we're kind of hoping that, yeah, as we continue to tour that around the world for other cultures and scenes that it also just kind of grows and adapts and kind of it, the show kind of evolves over time. In Hong Kong, what's the one building wall that's still on your wish list that you would love to work on? I'm trying to think like, there's so many, but I don't I, like, do I know the names of them offhand? I don't, not really, but anything with like a big flat wall would be great. <laughs> but you know, like uh, what, what are the ones in Kennedy town right by the, right by the water? Those, um, the, I forget what they're called, like the China industrial, like China shipping buildings right by this. They have their own little pier even. Yeah, super visible from both sides of coming into the harbor and exiting the harbor. We're always looking for walls. Always, always just like, oh man, that'd be so cool to paint. Or like, so yeah, we're really, yeah, anything we can get. Excellent, Jason. And let's dive into the very last question of The Last Supper. Who would you invite for your last supper? I don't know. I mean, it'd be great to be in like a room with Dolly and like Picasso and then some like, you know, maybe, yeah, Keith Haring or so many people. I don't know if you artist Swoon, like she does amazing work. Yeah, I mean, if I could fill a room with just like both live and dead people, it'd be so cool. Like some of these guys, like that are like this guy Paradox in Berlin, who's like repelling down buildings, like, and painting like illegally repelling down the sides of buildings and painting the whole way down guys like that even like the they're not really doing anymore like graffiti research lab those guys that they used to do a lot of technology-based graffiti or feeding feeding artists tools of, of technology to encourage different forms of graffiti futura you know he's a legend in, in graffiti and all now active in the galleries and yeah, I don't know. The list could just go on and on. And it's like, I would, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be just the 12 disciples. It would just be like, <laughs> there wouldn't be any, enough, enough room for, for the food. Thank you, Jason, for your time and coming over to my studio today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Last Supper with co-founder Jason Dembski of HK Walls. If you enjoyed listening to The Last Supper, kindly support us by sharing, commenting, subscribing to our channel or giving our podcast a star rating. Your support is crucial in raising the awareness of art in Asia. Thank you again for listening. I will post all the social media links and other references on my blog and in this podcast description as well. And before you go, The Last Supper podcast supports the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, a member-based non-profit organization of established local and international art galleries in Hong Kong.